0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your Raining, defending undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. I am your host Tom Franklin here and it feels so good to be talking about winning Blues hockey once again. Of course the Blues are still on top of the Western Conference standings, but A convincing 3-0 win over the New Jersey Devils to get back on track. And uh, we will talk about that. We'll also talk about the newest St. Louis Blue, and that being uh, Marco Scandella. Uh, How was the uh, trade? It was a second and a conditional fourth-round pick. Was it too much? Was it just right? We will get into that. Of course, this is episode number 42, or as I would like to call it, the David Backus episode. Of Blue Notes. And uh, for the David Backus episode of Blue Notes, we bring on one of our favorite teammates, our new co-host for Thursdays on Blue Notes, the man they call Wags. And uh, Wags, I I got a special gift for you here. I actually have some intro music for you.
1: Oh, it's my first intro music. I'm excited.
0: Yes, this is going to be your intro music going forward. I have permission from the man who composed it to... Continue using it here on Blue Notes. And would you believe that I had Jeremy Boyer, the blues organist, compose this for you?
1: Holy cow. I feel like I've hit the big time right now. Jeremy Boyer. Oh, I'm getting chills now. I can't wait to hear
0: it. Well, okay, I'm only half right. Jeremy Boyer did compose this, but I didn't tell him to compose it. He just kind of did it on his own pretty oh, well. Oh, my bubble. But, <laughs> but here we go. The Man Called Wax joins us now on Blue Notes. <laughs> Wags, that organ music is, of course, as the blues go marching in, or when the blues go marching in, and that version is special. Uh, That version's special. It's not the usual. Did you notice it's not the usual uh, sound from uh, the blues organist? Yeah, it definitely was in a different key and a little
1: bit off kilter, but uh, I think I know where you're going with this one.
0: Yes, this was the uh, original. This is how the original when the blues go marching in sounded at the St. Louis arena in the late sixties and early seventies. And this week, uh, during the New Jersey devils game, of course, uh, quality recognizes quality. And Jeremy Boyer decided to pay tribute to Norm Kramer, the original St. Louis blues organist from 1967 to 1972, as I mentioned, and that was in the key that Norm Kramer would play when the blues go marching in in basically. And my favorite Norm Kramer story and of course, you know, I mean he's he's an organist, so I mean I mean how could you have a, you know, favorite story? Well, this was let's go back to 1970. The St. Louis Blues have the All-Star game in their own barn, literally the old barn And there was one little controversy going into the game started by Chicago Blackhawks owner Bill Wirtz. Now, keep in mind, the Blackhawks were in the Eastern Conference. It was the original six versus the expansion six uh, for those first couple of years. And so Bill Wirtz feeling that Norm Kramer would give the Western All-Stars too much of an advantage Decides to pitch a hissy fit to the NHL and demand that their guy be on the organist. And a compromise is reached to where the Blackhawks guy is allowed to sit at the organ for the second period of the All-Star game. Kramer would take the first and third periods And the Chicago Blackhawks guy, this was just nothing but an absolute troll job. Uh, The organist just completely jeered the Blues fans, played insulting songs, and generally sucked. And by the time that Kramer got back over the third period, fans were pretty incensed. So there you go. I mean, that's probably, Wags, you know, thinking back to 1970, one of the earlier like salvos in the Blues-Blackhawks rivalry.
1: Oh, most definitely. And that—that that, to show my age, that was about 15 years before I was born. So I definitely don't remember that fully. But yeah. <laughs> you know, all, all I can sit there is think, uh, did he just play Chelsea Dagger the whole time?
0: Is that what really pissed people off? Oh, man, that, that, that's about, uh, let's see, that would have been about 35 years or so before Chelsea <laughs> Dagger. So uh, if he did, then, you know, he's, you know, uh, the, the, the Chicago guys probably owed some royalties. Just a you few. Know, for coming few. up with that song, just a few. So, no, just, just a walk down historical lane there. Uh, very nice uh, nod by Jeremy Boyer to uh, honor uh, Norm Kramer like that. He was the one that actually, I think, broke the news that Kramer had passed away. Really, I hadn't seen it anywhere else. So, um, But anyway, this comes on a week. Uh, we'll get to the Devils game here in just a little bit. But uh, the first thing I want to get to here is... I feel like I'm vindicated a little bit, Wags, because remember last week, you know, it was our debut episode, we were talking about what the Blues were going to do with the trade deadline, and I kept saying, you know, they need defense, they need defense, they need defense, there's a hole on defense, even when Jay Bowmeister was healthy, I thought the defense had some issues, well, this week, I guess Doug Armstrong heard my cries, well no he probably just you know used his own logic uh and goes out and gets marco scandella from the montreal Canadiens for a second round pick and a conditional fourth round pick that condition is if scandella resigns and plays over half of the blues games i think uh for from the first two rounds uh so, and, and they also retain half of Scandella's salary, which tells me, Wags, that Armstrong is not done. What do, you, what, what do you think of this deal?
1: Uh, well, first off, it's it's the deal that we probably needed. I mean, there are a couple other guys out there, like a Brendan Dillon, who could have slotted into that spot that Bo Meester was in, uh, someone that's defensive-minded. And you look at Scandella, left-hander, so that's easily played into Pareko's side, which that seems to be where they're targeting him to be playing at uh, so I think the deal was was needed and you know like you said we talked about it last week they needed to do something to shore up that side and to get that defensive minded defenseman back in there with Bo Meister being out um, but you know I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, it it's not a it's not one of those sexy things but it's what was needed as far as them you know retaining half the salary and, and things like that you know they just put Bo Meister on LTIR uh, so that kind of helps a little bit and only having to pay half his salary puts them right there up against the cap. Uh, And that's where I think we have to be very, very careful because there could still definitely be a move made, don't get me wrong. But it's one of those that when you're up against the cap, you got to get very, very creative. And Armstrong's been able to do that, but it's going to make it a lot tougher to do something.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I thought the timing of the trade was very interesting because – The Brandon Dillon trade to Washington had just been announced. Like it was, I mean, like it felt like these two trades were like, you know, one minute here's Dillon, the next minute here's Scandella. Uh, Dillon, of course, going to Washington for a second and a third round pick. Uh, So, I mean, it uh, just just kind of listening to you here, Wags. Would you have preferred Scandella to a Dillon? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. as far as, far
1: as what we gave up, I'll take Scandela every day. Oh, yeah, uh, but you know, it, it seems just from everything that I've read, it seems that Scandela is probably more of a fit than Brandon Dillon would have been. Uh, it seems like Dillon has that passion and that, that ability to fit into any lineup. Uh, but sure. Washington's been prone to, I mean, I think it's like either five or six of the last uh, five or the six last years, they've actually traded for a defenseman. So it was an MO that Washington was going to go out and shore up their defense. Um, and I think Dylan has a little bit more offensive capabilities than Scandella. Plus, the Blues are are a little bit more accustomed to Scandella because he played with Minnesota for a while.
0: Right, exactly. And it's you know, the, and the thing with Dylan is that you know he's a big hitter. And I think I saw that now with the addition of Dylan, Washington has five of the top twenty-one hitters in the entire NHL right now. So that's that's obviously their style. They're kind of you know, I mean, I don't want to say they're copying the Blue style so much, you know, in that. You know, big physical hockey. You know, wins championships because hey, they just won a championship a couple years ago, and hitting has been kind of their mo, anyway. So this is just them. You know, kind of. It feels like they're getting just. You know, they're adding strength to what's already a strength for them. Uh, I'm with you on Scandella. I think that you know he's he's not a big thumper. You know, like a Dylan. He reminds me a lot of a guy that you bring in to replace a guy that plays like Jay Beameister. Their playing styles, I think, are pretty similar. Uh, they're both veteran. They're both pretty smart. They play a uh, responsible defensive game. Uh, can chip in on offense, you know, when needed. But um, I think you know, that that was my biggest impression with with Scandella was, you know, Armstrong picked out a guy that he feels can be almost a you know one-for-one one replacement for Jay Bomeister and doesn't really complicate things.
1: Oh, agreed. And, and you also look at he plays on the penalty kill too, and that's where Bomeister spent a lot of time, him and Pareko, big time on the penalty kill. Uh, looking at numbers, two minutes and 38 seconds per game on average, Bomeister was out there on the penalty kill. So having someone that can slide in that spot knows what it's like to be on the penalty kill huge instead of throwing a guy like Nikola in there or Falk or something like that you've got yeah. someone that knows what they're doing in that
0: spot and I find that clause with that fourth round are kind of interesting if he plays more than half of uh the uh uh I guess team minutes that he's available for during uh the playoffs I mean there, there, there's a there's a time played component to it and I'm, th- I'm thinking back it's like I mean there he's surely gonna play more than Michael Delzado last year, isn't he? Well I think if he, I think
1: if he steps on the ice for even one second, he played more than Delzado
0: in the playoffs. Pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> Delzado didn't get into playoffs at all, if I recall. No, I don't believe he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean he was just your 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 literal, you know, emergency in in case of emergency break glass type of a guy. Uh so no, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what Scand- Scandella Scandela can do. He wore he's gonna wear number six um so jamie rivers is not gonna have his banner hoisted up yet so uh oh, is gonna delay hold. it a little bit put that on hold <laughs> yeah that was jamie just having some fun uh, tweeting that out uh by the way one thing i found interesting with this deal is you know there's there's also been talk that the blues need another top six forward needs for me is kind of a interesting word i don't think it's a need so much i think it would be nice if they got one I definitely thought defense was a priority. But in getting Scandella, they had to deal with the Montreal Canadiens, who also have Ilya Kovalchuk. And you would kind of think that if the Blues were interested in Kovalchuk, they could have maybe worked something out to where they got Scandella and Kovalchuk in a deal. That did not happen. So do you take that as maybe, hey, the uh, the Blues just aren't interested in Kovalchuk, or maybe Montreal's asking too much? Uh, I think it's more of
1: a matter of they think Tarasenko is coming back here in the next couple of weeks and they just don't have the money to do it. Uh, I'm not sure I don't have uh Kovalchuk's numbers in front of me as far as what his salary is concerned but just once again looking at what the Blues have in terms of cap space, Baummeisters injury reserve salary 3.23 million. So that goes that's the money they can spend. uh Scandella had a cap hit of 4 since they're going to take half of that 2 million obviously. So they still got about a million and a half to play with. So They may, it still may happen though. That's the thing. Yeah. At this point you, you have to still look at the numbers and still figure out how everything can fit. So they may still be working on something for a guy like Kovalchuk where they may have to move a player and some salary around. It just didn't happen at this exact point because you have that, that relationship with the Canadians. I believe Berger still the the GM up there. Is he not?
0: Yes, he is. Yep. Former, former
1: blues legend. Yeah. So you've got that there as well. So you've got that, connection so it wouldn't surprise me if something like that were to happen um you know i think Kreider is is gone he's either going to boston or colorado potentially if he does get moved yeah. uh, and then and then you're looking at yeah, hey, you're looking at a guy like kovalchuk and and one or two other guys and that's really about it but if they if they don't make a move it's because they know terry Sanko's coming back here shortly
0: yeah and i kind of worry about the price that a forward will go for this trade deadline we've already seen First-round picks get moved. We've seen uh, good prospects get moved. I look at Blake Coleman, for instance, going to Tampa for a first-round pick, and Nathan Foote, who is a former first-rounder himself, still in juniors and still pretty highly regarded. Now, if, if, if the Blues had gone out and gotten a Blake Coleman, they might be looking at something like a first-round pick in Jordan Cairo. and I don't think that the, the juice is worth the squeeze for a lot of the players that are available this deadline, especially considering the fact that they're rentals. It just it does it would not seem like a very Doug Armstrong move to waste a first and a prospect on a guy that could walk in a couple of months.
1: Oh, very much so. I mean you, you don't see him making those type of moves because in the past they've come back and, and bid him. Yeah, you know, yeah. Obviously the biggest one, Ryan Miller. <laughs> not, oh, not, to, not to say that who we traded eventually it didn't really hurt us in, in a long run sense, nah. but still, I mean, you get burnt once like that, it really makes you put off from doing those things. But, and now he's had success with making trades. I, I guess you could argue Justin Falk. That's that, the jury's still out on that one. Um, but that's because he signed him long term. So we'll see how that goes with the Seattle draft. And there's so many pieces that still need to go on with that yeah. before you can make an assumption, but yeah, he, he's not going to go out there and just go out for a rental unless the, 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 the deal is absolutely perfect. And I think this one with Scandella was perfect. It wasn't much to give up, and it's an expiring contract.
0: And it seems to be the going rate for defensemen in this in this trade market. Usually, it's about a second and maybe an extra pick there. Um, you know, and and one thing that also I think I think that maybe influencing Armstrong just a little bit is that you know whenever Doug Armstrong mentioned that he was looking at maybe adding a top six forward. Zach Sanford was being the usual Zach Sanford, and when I say that, I mean, you know, he's he's like a light switch. He's all he's on one day, off another. Lately, he's been on, and the switch has been left on. And I wonder, I mean, if Armstrong's taking a look at what Sanford is doing, and then taking a look at some of the players that are available, even a Chris Kreider, and saying, what do they add, or what would they add that we don't already get from a Zach Sanford? Yeah,
1: that's exactly what he's looking at. I mean, why would you trade something that is maybe of equal value that you have under control for somebody that A, could be a rental or B, may give you that amount of of production or may not. Uh, You know, with Sanford, he's been so streaky in his career, but we've seen that with Steen. I mean, we saw that with David Backus when he was here. He he used to start off season super slow and then turn it on at the end. You saw what Sanford could do in the playoffs last year, especially against Boston. Now we're seeing what he's able to do right now. It's just a matter of being able to keep it long-term. And then you look at the same thing with Thomas and Cairo, Thomas last year, Cairo this year, some of these guys, it takes a little while for them to really get going in the NHL. You can't do that, but at least this team has the ability to plug those guys in and maybe get them to a point where they can get comfortable and then get in full time. And now you see what they can do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you still have guys that can come in and pop in multiple goal games like an Ivan Barbashev. Who you know had two goals against New Jersey on Tuesday night. So I guess we can kind of transition into the Devils game right now. So uh, a five-game losing streak, you know, for for the Blues. Their record was like two, two, eight, and two. I think over their last twelve, it was it was a very rough run. And e- even before the Jay Beamer thing, even before the All Star break, really, just a mid-season kind of a swoon for the Blues. And uh, against the Devils this week, you know, of course, the Devils, you know, they're a team that are, you know, selling the farm. You know, they're kind of stripping things down, getting ready for a long-term rebuild. It looks like, but you know, still to have a three-nothing win for me answers a couple questions. It answers number one: yes, they can get secondary scoring. Barbashev getting two goals, and then the other thing it tells me is that hey, don't write off. Uh, Jordan Bennington just yet you know there's been some a little bit made about Bennington maybe being tired you know he uh, he's getting a heavy workload um you know maybe the you know people are wondering if the clock has struck 12 on Jordan Bennington and his you know kind of Cinderella story but uh uh he looked he looked pretty good Tuesday night and uh, it'll just it'll just it's just a three nothing win after the run they've had that's got to feel good Wags
1: Oh, it certainly does. And you look at what they did against Nashville over the weekend, even though they lost those games, you could tell second half on Saturday and then pretty much the entire game Sunday, the team really, it started to look like it used to, where they were clicking, they were getting opportunities. They had zone time, passing, success on the power play. Even though they weren't scoring, they were getting opportunities. And even last, uh, on on Tuesday night, you look at, it could have been a six nothing game. Louis Domingue, was phenomenal for the Devils. Uh, Absolutely. I mean that, that, that pass that Steam made to Cairo that went out the knob of his stick, that was a goal nine out of ten times. So yeah. the, the team has looked good over the last, you know, really essentially week. We thought going into this season that there was going to be a, a swoon at some point. I thought it was going to be early December, mid-December, that sort of time frame. It just so happens it's end of January, end of February, and, and it looks like they hopefully now are coming out of it.
0: Yeah, exactly, and, and – this is a good time to start coming out of it here because we are getting really into the final stretch here. We're going into the final quarter of the season here. And, you know, I, I look at the standings now and it's, you know, the blues have been, I mean, I think they have played well enough, you know, I mean, I mean, they haven't been like truly hideous or anything the last, you know, during this run. Um, but they have allowed Dallas to creep back into this. They've allowed uh, Colorado to creep back into this, and, you know, going into the playoffs, Wags, I mean, which, which one of those two teams do you fear the most? Do you, I mean, do you, do, you, do, you, do you see, you know, Dallas and Ben Bishop and knowing how he is in the playoffs and kind of, you know, worried about facing that again? Or, you know, does does Colorado and that and that amazing first line? I mean, what who scares you the most?
1: I mean, the one that scares me the most is Dallas. Uh, I mean, you don't want to, I don't want to go up against Colorado because of that first line, but they have dealt. I mean, Miko Rantanen's out for a couple of weeks now. They still have Nazem Kadri out. Uh, Philip Grubauer is out now as well, so they're dealing with a lot of injuries. They scare me, but not as much as Dallas. If if Colton Pareko doesn't shock Ben Bishop with that shot to the collarbone <laughs> in Game Six, I don't think the Blues win Game Seven. I think Ben Bishop played out of his mind in that series. And the fact that they have multiple lines that can score, they have a good power play, a good penalty kill, they finally figured out how to play defense, and then they've got Bishop in goal. Dallas is the team that scares me the most. And this, you know, I picked them last year to win the division and possibly go to the cup. I didn't pick them to do that this year, but don't be surprised if they're the team that represents the West this year.
0: No, I I, I predicted, uh, you know, when this season started that you know Dallas would be the Blues' biggest threat this year, and that does kind of go back to that series, Wags. You know, I I don't know about you, but that series I gave me PTSD. It was it was such a stressful series watching Bishop stop shot after shot after shot, and it's like now now when I see the Stars, you know, take the ice against the Blues. I, I, Metallica's one starts playing in the background you know the the opening uh, riffs the helicopter in the background and I start getting the shakes a little bit just because I'm with you they're, they're the team that scares me the most I mean that just Ben Bishop becomes an absolute demon in the playoffs and I think this year Dallas is better than they were last year just around him so uh, yeah I, I'm it, it's my hope my hope that it still ends up being blues winning the division. So that way in the first round, you have Colorado and Dallas, hopefully, you know, kicking the crap out of each other, you know, for a, for a traumatic game seven series. Uh, Cause to me, it, it, if it ends up being Dallas again in the second round, I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if they, I don't know if they can crack Bishop and, and that team this time.
1: Yeah, I don't either. It's, it, it would be an Epic series once again, just like last year was. And for for Bishop coming back into your hometown and facing the team that drafted you, I mean, there's even more incentive for him. And you saw that last year. You saw, I mean, you didn't didn't see like super intense emotion, but you could see emotion in him, especially after they lost, where it was like, man, I really wanted to to prove, and he did. I think he proved a ton of stuff to people here in St. Louis. And to have him have that opportunity to come back again and then to ramp it up even higher, oh, that'd be too Uh. scary for me.
0: I know, I know, and you know. Speaking of guys with something to prove, I wanted to talk to you this week as well about Justin Falk. Is it just me, Wags, or do we have a bona fide fall guy for everything that goes wrong with the Blues? Is here with Justin Falk. We do. Does I mean what? I mean, in my opinion, it's not deserved. Oh no, not at all. I, You know, you, you take a guy that has played
1: in one system for eight, nine years, as he did in Carolina. Uh, You bring him in, you shift him from the right to the left, to the right, to the left, pairing him up with multiple different defensive partners. It's a struggle. I mean, you look at this team last year, it took them half a season with, I think, nine new guys at forward to even just click. And yes, you can sit there and say, oh, well, it's just one defenseman coming into a team. Well, this is a team that's been intact for more than a year and has played together for more than a year with a certain style. Now you're throwing a guy in, trying to find his spot, trying to figure out where he fits in. And to be perfectly honest, up until – really up until the Bo Meister thing, the last month or so where he'd been solidly at the side of one of, of – I think it was Petrangelo. Him yeah, and Petrangelo. Petrangelo. They, they played very, very well together, and they seemed comfortable and things were flowing, and you didn't hear and see so many mistakes. Well, now all of a sudden he's up and down the lineup again, switching sides, blah, 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 blah. And, and people are going to blame him for the, for the goal on Sunday against Nashville. He wasn't one of the four guys that was – at the boards on the complete wrong side of the play. He was there trying to cover a two on one just so happened. The puck went between his legs and passed, you know, Bennington. I, I, I couldn't blame the guy. It's tough, but he is the fall guy this year.
0: Yeah, it, it is. And it's like, and I, I go back to even Saturday's game when he was a minus three and it seemed like every blues fan and the mother were pointing that out after the game. It's like, Oh God, Justin Falk was on the ice for three goals. You know, there he goes again, but you you look back at the goals that the that the predators scored, and Justin Falk was not was not involved in any of those goals. He was actually doing what he was supposed to do. He was on his guy. The play was away from him. Uh, but it's like yeah, people are people are quick to look at plus minuses and kind of treat that as the gospel. And you know I'm not saying that Falk deserves some criticism. Uh, but I think to your point, Wags, in that it, it it feels like he just he still for whatever reason cannot get comfortable here in St. Louis, and now that he's getting this label as a as you know a fall guy, which he kind of had in Carolina actually. That's kind of ask any Hurricanes fan, and you know they they he was kind of their pinata over there as well. Uh, it just. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to help him settle in any quicker now that he's going to be the harbinger for all the Blues failures. It just it just doesn't seem fair to me.
1: Oh, it doesn't. I think the big part of it is the fact that if he would have just been brought over in the trade, I think fans would be a little bit like, okay, let's see what he's got. But the fact that he was traded to here and then signed the long-term deal yeah. without Petrangelo being signed long-term, I think people are looking at that being like, well, this is the guy that's going to replace Petrangelo. Not really. Yeah. Trangelo might still be here, and and with the like I said, with the Seattle draft coming up, you either use his salary to you know let Seattle take it, or he's there to protect another guy. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of pieces that go along to it. When it comes to defense and goaltenders, wildly different than forwards. The, yeah. the progression and the and the style of play, everything has to – it takes a little bit longer for these guys to develop. And yes, Falk's been in the league for a long time, but once again. New system, new team. It's going to take a little while to get himself acclimated.
0: It's, it's funny you mentioned the Seattle draft because I've I've mentioned on this podcast in recent weeks that the Blues are going to come into a big problem with Seattle because there's going to be a lot of players that they don't want to be exposed that might have to be. Like I know in uh, the Athletics uh, done some recent expansion draft, mock drafts, and they've had the likes of Jordan, like Jordan Cairo and Vince Dunn, you know, available for Seattle to be picked. If I'm Doug Armstrong, I don't want any of those guys, you know, plucked by Seattle. And I'm, I'm even going as far as you mentioned that Falk being a possibility to be picked by Seattle. I'm even going as far as maybe suggesting that, you know, the blues become one of those teams that give Seattle something just so they take a Justin Falk, and it's not, and it's, and this isn't entirely just. Oh, they need to get rid of Justin Falk. He's he's he sucks. He's terrible. Uh, no, it's it's not necessarily that. It's it's a combination of you want to protect players and keep them on your roster, and there is also some financial component to that because. You're going to have jordan binnington coming up for a contract again you are going to have i mean you're going to have to figure out how to fit petrangelo in just next year for instance um you know so it's it to me it just it kind of makes all the sense in the world for armstrong to go to seattle and say hey look uh we're going to expose justin falk you can have him uh we'll give you a maybe like a couple picks or a, you know maybe a, maybe a dominic bach level type of a prospect just, you know, just so not just to get re- rid of Falk, but just to protect. You know, you, you don't want Jordan Cairo, you know, scoring 30 goals a year as a member of the Seattle Kraken. You want him to be a St. Louis Blue doing that.
1: Almost oh, definitely. I mean, some of the guys that you look at, uh, like an Eric Foley might be a guy that you could entice. One um, yeah. what, what of the guys I don't want to get rid of that, that might be a, a guy that's floated out there. I'm a big Janko fan.
0: Yes. Um,
1: so... That that might be one of those that they float him out there, which for once again, I don't think. If you could have a line of Costin, Tarasenko, and Toropchenko, um that, that gives me that gives me chills and keeps me yeah. up at night uh, yeah. uh, every week.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That, that that's a hell of a lineup there, and you definitely want to preserve that. And uh, you know, Toropchenko, he was one of those guys that caught my eye during the Memorial Cup when he was just going off. And in San Antonio, he's had kind of a quiet year this year, but I think that kind of I think this this is his first year playing with, you know the big boys, if you will. and it's and to me, it seems like he's just adjusting. you know and and also one thing to consider, a lot of people might look at you know, Toropchenko's stat line in San Antonio and say, Oh, well, he's struggling. Keep in mind that when you're in the AHL uh, and you do have the ability to control how your coach handles your players, unlike the Chicago Wolves, which is a whole other story. But with the San Antonio Rampage, you can tell the coach, "Hey, have them focus on this, you know, on this aspect of the game and this aspect of the game." And from all accounts, it sounds like Toropchenko is picking up some of the, you know, more secondary uh, things that he needs to do to be successful in the league. But he just he's not scoring at the moment. But I don't think it's cause for alarm. I, I mean, Costen, it took you know, he had a bumpy first year in San Antonio last year. there there's just an adjustment period when you go from. Uh, you know, major junior hockey to pro level hockey.
1: Oh, definitely. And, and if the Blues are looking, like you said, a, a, of, a, of an AHL team that they have control of the coaching staff and the style, they're not necessarily looking at point production. It's are you following the system? Are you advancing along the track that we want you to advance along? And that's really all they're looking for. And that's what's going to make the next well, next year really intriguing is what's going to happen there.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's and that and that, I've been thinking about that ever since it was announced that uh, the Rampage are being bought by Vegas. Is that you know does this put the Blues back in Chicago? That's a thought that scares me because it it was, it was quite obvious that during the time uh, Chicago was affiliates with the Blues that they had trouble developing their own prospects because Chicago, for whatever reason, decides that winning a minor league championship is everything. It means everything to this franchise to be, you know, king of the molehill, you know, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll play veterans over, over, over the young kids. It just, it just drives me nuts. And, you know, I'm, I'm of the hope that, you know, the, the old, there, there was a rumor before the blues went back to the rampage that the Hunt family was trying to get an AHL team in Kansas city, uh, maybe moving the Mavericks up from the ECHL I'm hoping with this bromance that's going on between the Blues and the Chiefs that could happen again. That to me, to me, that is the most ideal situation: is putting an AHL team uh, in Kansas City that can be the Blues affiliate. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I think it's amazing, and I think that's the right idea. I, I was looking last week. There's actually a bunch of teams. Uh, s- there's six teams in the NHL that don't have local affiliation, and with that in a sense, means they don't have a team which that's within their own state. Yeah. Just six of the teams don't have yeah. that. So having something a team that close, A, it aids in being able to get a guy here a lot quicker, but it also allows your coaching staff to make a day trip oh, even and just go over and see what your team's doing, what your players are doing. So having that team in close proximity, plus having within state and the ties that the two organizations have – It it would be the most ideal thing to happen. I really, really hope it does.
0: I do too. I really do too. I mean, not only that, but like we could actually catch a game. Like I, I went to Dallas, I I went to Dallas a couple years ago and I saw the blues in Dallas against the stars. And I was, I was just, you know, for one, it takes 10 hours to drive from St. Louis to Dallas. It's a, it's a bit of a haul. And then just getting from Dallas to San Antonio is a whole nother, you know, slice of hell because you have to drive down i think it's i-35 to, between between dallas and and san antonio but in the middle is this uh, city called austin perhaps you've heard of it uh one of the worst rush hour traffic places in the country because this it's quite obvious that the you know founders of austin uh did not anticipate the city growing as much as it did and i was actually gonna go down from dallas to san antonio to catch the rampage they were playing the wolves you know that weekend this was when the blues had kind of joint custody of the wolves with with vegas and so i was like hey this is a great opportunity to see all the prospects at once and so i'm driving down 35 going from dallas and then i get to austin and there's a bypass in austin Uh, you can get around austin there's a highway that actually has an 80 mile an hour speed limit you know that goes you know outside of austin and i was gonna go that way but it's like you know what i've heard so many cool things about austin i'm gonna go check it out uh long story short i never made it to san antonio <laughs> <laughs> i never made it i got caught in traffic uh like an idiot and i ended up just hanging out hanging out in austin for a while and then driving back up you know it's about you know three hour drive uh but yeah it's just it just i mean well, I don't think San Antonio's been bad for the Blues, per se. I mean, they, aren't, they haven't been playing very well this year. Uh, it would be nice to have your prospects with, you know, closer than a 12-hour drive, you know, for sure. And it's just like Blues fans, they can make a weekend trip to Kansas City. I mean, they could, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the Kansas City team plays on a Saturday night and then the Chiefs play on Sunday. That's a fun St. Louis sports weekend. You know, I mean, they're just I'm thinking a lot of... There's, there's a lot of potential between the St. Louis and Kansas City partnership, Most I, and, and I hope it happens.
1: Well, and the NHL was looking at Kansas City as well. I mean, back well back in the, back, the days of Pittsburgh before Lemieux took over, you know, there yep. was preliminary talks about that. They've got the new arena down there. That's NHL quality. Uh, there's a lot of signs that are pointing to Kansas City being a part of the NHL's future. And yep. what better way to just in, in make that happen than to have an NHL team there connected to the blues. And then all of a sudden, boom, there you go. You're right in the NHL's wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. There's been some talk that maybe the coyotes might look at Kansas city. Uh, I think they're, they've been linked more to Houston. If they move at all, I know they're trying to stay in Arizona. Um, you know, our uh, hosts on the hockey podcast network supporting with Corey and Richie, they're, they're very optimistic about the coyotes future in Phoenix. So maybe, maybe they end up staying there, you know, after all, but, uh, um, I, I think back, you know, Kansas city did have an NHL team, you know, in the seventies, they had the scouts who are now today's New Jersey devils, you know, you know, by, by way of, I think was it Cleveland. I think they made a pit stop. It, in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's, they've done hockey there before and I, but I, but I think Kansas city is a lot different now than it was then it's a city that's on the rise and, uh, uh, I just think I just think a, a partnership between St. the Blues and Kansas City. It's just it's just perfect. I mean, you could have you could have Blues preseason games in Kansas City, and then the Chiefs could play like a preseason game here in St. Louis. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that would be cool. Where would they play, though? Oh my gosh! <laughs> mm, I know, right? I, I know. Well, I mean, I mean, they could always play at the home of the Battlehawks. Oh yeah, go yeah, for it—the the dome, or may, or maybe when the MLS stadium's done, you know, that's, they could play there.
1: Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking. I was like, it's a small, intimate, you know, piece of property. So it's a preseason game. How many people are you actually expecting? Thirty-five thousand, or eighteen 000 to nineteen thousand people for a Kansas City preseason game in St. Louis? That would be in, a, in an intimate environment like that. I think that would be pretty darn cool.
0: Before we go, yes, it is the first weekend of the St. Louis BattleHawks of the XFL. Of course, this is a hockey podcast, but I'm I'm going to be at the BattleHawks game on Sunday. I did. I was one of the idiots that signed up for season tickets. You know, when this thing was just a joke. Um, I are, are you looking forward to the BattleHawks uh, at home on Sunday?
1: I, I am. Uh, the
0: fact that they've pretty
1: much sold out uh, the tickets for the game just shows you that St. Louis is passionate about their sports, no matter what it is, whether it's Cardinal baseball, blues hockey, now Battle Hawks football, college sports. I mean, they're they're passionate about their team. And, yes, it's a little bit of a middle finger to Stan Krocki in the NFL. Like, hey, we can actually do this and sell it out. But I I really do think people are intrigued by this. And the team's played decently well for the the makeup of their team and where everybody kind of projected them to be. I think they're going to be there. I think they're going to be there
0: at the end. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's going to be – you know, I think there is maybe – if one thing this leak shows, it does show that I don't think you need these mega monolith stadiums to succeed. There's going to be twenty-eight thousand fans in St. Louis. I want to see how that translates to the television crowd. You know, I mean, because if they're loud, if they're pumped, I mean, you know, they that could be just as effective as you know a big sixty thousand seat arena, or maybe even you know Cronkies half empty stadium whenever it gets going, you if know, it doesn't it's, fall down. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, it's uh, you know, it, it's and, and just it's funny to me. It's it, I almost I consider becoming a Raiders fan. I think I'm gonna back the Chiefs going forward. I'm, I'm finally letting go of my hate of the NFL a little bit. <laughs> but like you, you notice, like the Raiders Stadium in Vegas quietly went up. There was like no fanfare. There was no controversy. It just went up, and it looks great. And then you have Kroenke in L.A cost overruns the chargers aren't paying their way i mean aren't i mean aren't you just sad it's happening to such a swell guy
1: oh i'm totally sad i think at one <laughs> point he was even asking the uh, the players to pitch in some money to uh, to finance the state i'm like are you serious dude you, yeah. you got what your net worth is what and you're asking the players to pitch in for a project that you push for that now is over budget <laughs> i mean come on dude
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, if he's that worried about you know affording the stadium, maybe he can sell one of his properties. Maybe he can sell Arsenal, the 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 soccer club. I'm sure I know just about every Arsenal fan wants Kroenke out. They 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 do not like Kronke. Uh I've talked to our friends in Colorado, the uh, the Avalanche podcast. Um, you know, offside by a mile. They're not fans of Kroenke either. I mean, it's just the, the guy is just poisons the well wherever he goes. So uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the battle Hawks game on Sunday and showing the world that indeed uh, St. Louis not only deserves football, but they've earned football. Absolutely. So Wags, it's been a pleasure. Let's do this again next Thursday. Okay. I'll be here. Alrighty. That's going to do it for this episode of blue notes. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no Wags. There is no blue notes and there is no hockey podcast network. I'm Tom Franklin. He's WAGS. Don't be a chump and always play to the whistle.